Hello and welcome to the Sensibly Speaking Podcast. This is Chris Shelton, the critical thinker at large, coming at you for another slam bang episode. This one all about Scientology auditing and specifically the administration of auditing, how it is carried out, how it is conducted, not the auditing sessions themselves, which have been talked about many, many places in many, many ways and I, I on my channel and other places, but the actual sort of factory line administration of it. What goes on behind the scenes? How is it all done? This is something that doesn't get talked about a lot, and there's a lot of fodder here uh, to uh, put in my canon, so to speak, because there's a lot to criticize about how Scientology's organizational apparatus is put together to, to charge people for counseling services, to get them the counseling services, and then how the counseling's actually administered. So I thought we might spend a podcast here and dig into the deep details of this in, the, in a similar way to how a couple of weeks ago I dived into Scientology training and how kind of crazy Scientology training can be at its, at its fundamental level when you get into all the details about it. Because I was never a case supervisor, which you're going to find out all about in a couple minutes here, I have invited uh, my good friend Sunny to come on the show. She's been on before and discuss this because she was a highly trained case supervisor in Scientology and in the Sea Org. So Sunny, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you very much. Absolutely. Thanks for doing this. I, I actually really, really appreciate it because because um, this is not, uh, there's very few people in the world who can actually talk intelligently about this and you're one of them. So I think this will be interesting for people. First off, could you describe just in general, uh, what is a case supervisor and how is that related to the practice and delivery of auditing in Scientology? Uh, the case supervisor is the final say-so on anybody who comes in for counseling in Scientology, any level. Um, they are ultimately responsible for a person from the minute they step into the organization until they complete all the services in that organization and move on to another organization. They're responsible for every single step, getting a person up the grade chart specifically, or, you know, sometimes somebody, somebody could run into bumps. They go into repair actions. All of that is the responsibility of the case supervisor. The well-being of the auditors that are doing the sessions is the ultimate responsibility of the case supervisor. Um, yes, the free clears, the auditors, um, and the entire administrative staff that deals with getting a person into a session from beginning to end is the case supervisor. So is this an executive position? It is not an executive position. It is in division four, uh, which is the production division. Technically the direct senior of a direct uh, of a case supervisor is a director of processing who cannot give any instructions. The director of processing cannot order the case supervisor, although on an administrative level, they're the senior, but they're not allowed to, they don't ever run, um, the case supervisor runs the director of processing actually. And the next highest person above the case supervisor is the technical secretary. 
And in some organizations, that person will run the case supervisor. But um, because of the training of a case supervisor, uh, pretty much nobody ever crosses a case supervisor, unless you can think of an example of it. I'm not trying to sound like high and mighty. I'm just telling you that's how LRH put them. And we, we sit in ivory towers. We, we meet no pre-clears. We are never allowed to meet the pre-clears. Under any circumstances, do you ever meet the people getting their sessions? Never, except there's only one exception, and that is never. <laughs> yeah, so let's, so let's be real clear here. So you have auditors, yes. and they yes. work in, in what's called a Hubbard Guidance Center, or HGC, in a Scientology yes. organization. This is all happening within Division 4, the technical division, or the production division. And technically speaking, in terms of giving a case supervisor instructions or directions on what to do with a case, that's where an administrative senior has no, they can't tell you what to do as far nobody, as that. Nobody in the organization can tell a case supervisor what to do except for the senior case supervisor who is in the qualifications division. That is the only person who can ever uh, tell the case supervisor what to do. That changed, I don't know if you want to get into this, that changed in 96 with the RTC reps, which is a whole separate thing. The RTC reps had a lot to do with the case supervisors. They were in my office all the time for, for any reason. But um, as far as within an, an actual, internally within an organization, the only person the case supervisor ever uh, gets any instructions from who would ever even try to give the the case supervisor instructions is going to be um, the senior case supervisor. You have auditors, they audit pre-clears, but they're not the ones who are deciding what to do in each session that they're delivering to their pre-clears. A person comes in, they want to go up the bridge, they want to, you know, they, they buy auditing. Well, they buy auditing in chunks of 12 and a half hours called intensives, and the auditors then deliver those intensives and keep minute track of the time that they've taken to deliver the session, and that's taken out against the person's, you know, how many hours they have credited on their account, and then when the person runs out of hours, they have to go buy some more, and this is how you go up the bridge in Scientology, is you buy auditing, you get some auditing, and it's delivered to you, and then you buy more, and you keep going. And eventually, you've invested hundreds of thousands of dollars in this because these intensives tend to run about three to four thousand dollars per twelve and a half hours of intensives of auditing. Now, the the reason we're talking about the case supervisor, though, is because what the auditor does in the session is not determined by the auditor. It's determined That's by correct. the case supervisor. So what does the case supervisor do as far as directing the auditor in his sessions? Okay. Um, the, the case supervisor is the puppet master and the auditors are the puppets. It's really, it's really, uh, I've never seen it that way, but that is really how it goes. When, when you have somebody who comes in for services, let's say they've completed their purification rundown. Um, which is done in the sauna with another person. They've graduated their purification rundown, and now they've decided they want to go into professional auditing. And what professional auditing is, is uh, paying full rates for a 
uh, uh, qualified, highly trained auditor to deliver sessions on that person. Um, another route you can do is called a co-audit, which is when you pair up with somebody who's as trained as you are, you go learn some stuff in, in a course room, and then you practice it on each other. That's a co-audit. Now, right. professional auditing is where you're paying for the intensives, and those are 12 and a half hour blocks. So when you have a person who completes their purification rundown, that this, this file uh, is collected. Everybody's got a file in Scientology. It's got all their, all their notes in it. And in those files, uh, it's going to, it's going to come to me. It's going to have their name on it. It's going to say, um, it's going to say that they've completed their purification rundown and they're ready to start the next step, which would be, well, now they call it survival rundown. Back then it was called objectives. It's exactly the same thing. So I'm going to tell the auditor, I'm going to write instructions in the folder. I never see the preclear. Um, very rarely I'll see the auditor, but I won't talk to the auditor about, about their preclears. I'll talk to them about other stuff, which we can get into. Um, and I'll give them instructions telling them what, what exactly the steps are that they need to do on that preclear. And I can tell them to keep the session 20 minutes long. I can tell them, keep that person in for eight hours. That auditor has to follow my instructions. I can tell them to do one process or 20 processes before he turns it back into me. Um, anything I write down, he's got to read that, understand it, grab that person, put them in session and do the instructions that I've written in the folder. Perfect. Now, what are your instructions based on in a, in a general sense? What is it that you're using to tell you what to do with this preclear? Um, I mean, there's there's a lot of references. There's an entire um, series called the Case Supervisor Series. I think there's 150 of them, maybe about. There's 150 issues somewhere around there, and um, those are those are what I use for my guidelines. And then the grade chart itself. Um, the the Case Supervisor's job is to get the person moving up through the grade chart. You know, and when I was mostly. Most of my CSing was at CC uh, International, and that org only delivers up to, I guess you'd call it Sunshine Rundown, but clear Sunshine Rundown. Um, so we would get people up to clear, and I mean, we take them from their purification rundown when they start on the lower part of the grade chart and move them all the way up to clear. And once they're clear, we're supposed to send them on to the next higher org to do their OT levels. Right, because Celebrity Center or, say, the Church of Scientology of Denver or Milano or, you know, these, these city-level churches are only qualified to deliver auditing up to the level of clear. They don't know how to do the OT levels. They don't have that information. That they've never been given that information. That's only available at the Sea Org organizations. Yes, the OT levels are only kept by Sea Org uh, orgs. Um, they're carefully guarded. Even though they're all over the internet, they're very carefully guarded. They are very carefully guarded. <laughs> That's right. No, yeah. the security systems are actually quite impressive. It's actually something. There was a lot of thought put into how to keep those materials super ultra confidential after <laughs> the milk had spilled. Uh, so it's yeah. kind of uh, it's it's kind of a big moot point at this point because uh, you know you can Google Xenu and find out all about it. Even the OT levels have case supervisors, but we're not going to necessarily get into the details of all of that in this podcast. I want to talk about the more general 
uh, factory assembly line kind of deal that goes on in any HGC, in any org, anywhere sort of deal. So you have a case supervisor. So now this is very different model. I want to also differentiate this right away from the regular model, I guess you could say, that has sort of developed over the years with counselors and their patients or therapists and their patients, where it's a one-on-one relationship. The therapist is trained, he's gone to college or he's done whatever special study he's done. He has this, this particular knowledge that he has, analogous to an auditor. An auditor gets trained in Scientology and learns various things. The difference is these guys are learning in universities. Auditors are learning in Scientology academies. Um, but they're learning how to do these procedures or processes or, or methods on, on people in an effort to try to help them, give them therapy, give them counseling. Uh, but in Scientology, that model changed. That was how it was in Scientology through the 50s and early 60s until... Hubbard came up with this system. Do you remember when it was that this actually started taking effect? Sometime at St. Hill, I think in the 60s, they had some form of it. I don't think the, the case supervisors were, I mean, back in the 60s, there's a lot of the tapes in the BC where they're talking about the auditors doing whatever on the preclears and they would, they would end up, uh, we'll call it scattered all over the universe. The preclear would Ex be in a, in a total hot mess because the auditor, you know, Hubbard decided, uh, you know, he looked at it and decided that these people were being, um, you know, the auditors were being run around by the preclears. The people getting the sessions were running everything. And the auditors were like, okay, you want to go over there? Okay, you want to do over there? Okay. And that uh, didn't get them up this grade chart. And so Hubbard said, we need somebody to supervise all of this. So exactly. I, don't, I, exactly. I couldn't tell you the exact date that it happened, but it was sometime in the 60s around the St. Hill. So. That's right. Yeah, it was in the mid-60s there. And this was developed uh, exactly like you said, as a method of controlling the auditors better and giving them better directions on what to do. Um, and also, this was developed around the same time that Hubbard developed this grade chart and the concept of the grade chart. Because all through the 50s and early 60s, there wasn't that system in place. There was no grade chart. There was no step-by-step, -step, this is how you get to clear, this is how you get to OT. It was a real hodgepodge. There was a mess of processes. There were thousands of processes and procedures that, that Hubbard had talked about or researched or released over the decade of the 50s. So come 1969, the early 1960s, Hubbard's like, well, this is a bit of a mess. And he started organizing all these processes into different types of processes and different subject matter that the processes addressed. And you'd have objective processes and you'd have subjective processes, for example. We've talked about that. But you also had something called um, routine one, two, and three. R1, R2, and R3. And these things started being put together as an idea of a series of steps you could do that they could put everyone through. And that is what eventually evolved into this whole grade chart where you have a whole series of steps and it's one size fits all. Everybody does these steps with minor variations as things Very come. minor, yes. Yeah, right? very minor. Okay, yes. so that's why you say the grade chart's your main guide. Go ahead and explain for example, give a couple examples of what kind of things come up 
that will derail a person's progress and how you get them back on to doing this one size fits all grade chart series of steps. How does this, how does this basically work? Okay. Um, you could have a person who's completed their purification rundown and you put them on objectives and they, they're bogging down. Um, I mean, for the most part, objectives could go on forever. Uh, but some of them really, really go on forever where even the case supervisor is like, okay, 150 hours of give me that hand is, is a little bit overkill. And, you know, the case supervisor is going to look through to see, number one, um, did he finish this process earlier and we went past it, uh, which is called an overrun? Or um, number two, you know, there's a correction list that can be done. It's an assessment of a bunch of questions that the auditor, the, the case supervisor will tell the auditor, hey, you need to assess this correction list. And assessment, uh, you want me to tell, I'll tell you what an assessment is real quick. Assessment is um, you have a list of questions. They're all, uh, for the most part, they're prearranged by Hubbard. They're, they're written in bulletins. And you're asking these questions to the person, but you're noting the reactions by the e-meter. So you're just, you're, you're asking the person the question, but you're not getting an answer from him. So you're going down this list to find out, you know, did we go past the point on the objectives where you felt good about them? Or, you know, is there something upsetting you in your life that's distracting you from your objectives? These are not the exact questions. I'm just trying to keep them kind of simple. Um, is there something worrying you out of session? Um, is there somebody who's um, validating your gains in session? And um, any of these kind of things, like, for example, if somebody came up that somebody's invalidating their gains in session, you know, the auditor would talk with that person about it until, you know, the, the person became bright about it. It would end off the session, send this back to the case supervisor, and the case supervisor would, would um, send that person for a handling with the ethics officer for the person who's invalidating them in their life. And that's where it could bog down. Then, you, then he goes and gets fixed. Yeah, you know, handler disconnect. We know we know too much about all that. Oh, yep. he's destroying my life. I can't give my auditor that hand anymore. So I gotta get disconnect from you. <laughs> exactly, <laughs> right? So then this is this is how that. it comes up. This is how it comes this up in order. Exactly, auditing. yes. Yes. The person bogs down, which you know, they're they're we're trying to get them smoothly through the steps that Hubbard has given us, and those bog down. Um, we have to remedy them so that they are getting rapidly up the grade chart to their next step. So he'll get that ethics handling once he's handled or disconnected from that horrible person who's making it hard for him to get through his objectives. He'll go back in session and, and finish that process, you know, resolve that um, process and then move on to the next one and try to get through those objective processes and then go uh, on up the grade chart, Scientology drug rundown, ARC straight wire, grade zero through four. Dianetic auditing and clear. Right, exactly. And all of this is the, the, the nature of the auditing that's being delivered at each of the levels changes, but the structure of how the auditing's delivered stays the same. Auditor, case Correct. supervisor, ethics officer if needed because something in real life is affecting this person's ability to progress up the bridge uh, or ethics if the person's doing something that is off the rails and they need to be 
you know, whatever that might be. Mm-hmm. And uh, that, that Scientology deems unethical. Sometimes those things that come up truly are unethical. I mean, you find out the guy's beaten his wife or something, that's, that's going to be problematic. The guy's going to have to deal with that. He can't, you, you know, you can't be doing that. But on the other hand, some of the other things you get sent to ethics for are, oh, yeah, your friend's giving you a hard time about Scientology, so you have to disconnect from him now. You know, so yeah. that's that's the other half of that, that nonsense. And then let's talk about the other liaison, which happens, which is with the qualifications division, division five. I've talked about qual as a as a as a QC place, a, a place of quality control and also a place where. Uh, it's sort of the final, it's the, it's the place in the organization where they validate or acknowledge that you have completed things. When you finish your purification rundown, you go to qual and they say, they put you on a meter and say, hey, you happy with the, with the service? And you say, yeah, it's wonderful. It's great. And that meters float, you know, the needles floating and everything's great. So, so qual has that function. How would they also you certify? They also certify. Yeah, that's what I was. Yeah, that's right. So how how did you deal? How did you interact with Qual as a case supervisor? We'll send a person in session, and after each session that gets done, every single day the the auditor has to write up everything for the case supervisor. What happened? They write it during the session, but then at the end they have like an opportunity to write like a final note. Hey, case supervisor, we did good today, or I ran into this problem, or I'm not sure how I can deal with this tomorrow. All of those kind of things are left in notes inside the file. That folder is closed up, put in a stack, and your case supervisor uh, works at night. They work after hours, and they have humongous stacks of these files. If you have 15 auditors and they audit, each one did five sessions on five different people. So you have 15 times five folders that I'm going to be going through at night. I'll open that folder. I'll see, oh, the auditor's saying he's having trouble. I'm going to spend a little extra time reading through everything to try to make sure, you know, how can I help this pre-clear get into the next step? How can we get the auditor feeling more comfortable that he's, he's doing the right steps? And it's my job as a case supervisor to keep the auditor happy and the pre-clear happy. I have to keep both of them in a good state to continue both of them through the auditing session. So I'm responsible for everything having to do with the auditor, his well-being, his training, and also that pre-clear getting up the grade chart. Um, so, you you know, another example of a bog is a person runs out of auditing hours and they go down to the registrar to buy more auditing hours and they either don't want to or they don't have any money. And those kind of things go right back to the case supervisor to figure out why. Even if he doesn't have money, I have to figure out a reason why he can't figure out why he doesn't have any money. It's my job to find out what went wrong between the auditor and that pre-clear that's making him not figure out how to pay for more auditing because it's called a bad indicator. So that's how you get people who get reined back in all the time is because there's nowhere where you can just say, okay, we're good, we're done, we're happy, and I'm going to go on with my life. There is no such point ever anywhere in Scientology where you're happy, healthy, and ready to move on with your life. There's always another step that needs to be done, and it's the job of that case supervisor to help the person get through each step. And that's why 
I don't know if you ever read my comments. If you, if you look, when I make comments online, sometimes I'm apologizing all the time because I, I did this to people and I, I'm sorry, you know, anyway. So when we talk about the qualifications department, let's say a, an auditor and a preclear go into a session and that auditor has a lot of trouble. Maybe that person is doing objective processes and they don't like it and they assault the auditor and the auditor is shaken up and doesn't know what to do. And the preclear runs out and um, runs out of the session and disappears. And that auditor and, comes back. And this happens. This happens sometimes oh, yes. because, oh, you know, yeah. I talked in, I talked in the training about how you have to, you know, learn how to grab another person's body and control it and throw it around a room and stuff. Well, you know, auditors are trained to do that. But then when they hit the real world and somebody really starts giving them guff for real and it's not a training situation anymore, some auditors really freak out. And this is the situation she's describing right now. Yes. And um, so number one, my top priority is getting that preclear happy again. So, um, you know, that auditor won't do anything except write down everything that happened. I won't talk to the auditor. He has to write it all down. I am waiting for that file, even if it's uh, the middle of the night for me, which is early morning because we work overnight. I'm waiting for that folder because we have to do something to fix that right away. First thing I'm going to do is figure out if I'm going to put this person back in with that auditor or not. A hundred percent of the time that auditor would be sent to the qualifications department to get correction, which is called cramming. I'm going to, I'm going to write a list of all the references that they violated and what they should have done instead. And they're going to go to a person, which is called the cramming officer, which is in that qualifications division. And that cramming officer is going to say, what situation did you run into that you had to invent something to do something about it? That's the cramming that's, officer's question. That's right. That cramming question. <laughs> Key I've cramming question. 15, <laughs> I've been out for 15 years and I still remember it. It's, it's I know, horrifying. Right? But <laughs> oh my God, yes. Would you want someone else to have similar gains to yours? <laughs> that's the other, oh, that's another, horrifying, that's another yes. thing. Well, yeah, but yeah. Yes. So, okay. So this so, is the liaison that goes on. Yes. So that auditor will go uh, get cramming and then that cramming officer will find out, you know, I, I suggest what they need to study, but the cramming officer is the final decision. They actually can change what I say, but it's up to the case supervisor to decide if that auditor is allowed to go back in to fix that person or not. So sometimes the case supervisor is physically involved in, in the corrections. They'll be up there with the auditor um, doing the training with them. They can the, the case supervisor can take on the job of pretend preclear to act the way the preclear was acting that the person couldn't fix until the person feels comfortable doing it. So it's the case supervisor's job when that auditor has become rattled to fix them up. If the case supervisor determines that that auditor has got to fix that preclear, the case supervisor is going to go handhold that auditor until they're back in session. If the, if the case supervisor decides it's over this auditor's head, this auditor, goodbye, you go to cramming, come back when you're better, and, and that preclear will be sent to someone else to deal with those, whatever happened. Yeah, exactly. How many auditors can a case supervisor comfortably oversee or, or supervise? Um, when we were at, when I was at CC, it was, uh, the HTC 
the DIF four was making about 600 hours. So um, those auditors did about 60 hours per week. So 10 auditors, 10, 10 auditors. Plus I was also CSing the P yeah, 10 auditors from that. And then I, I had um, three other departments that I was also doing CSing for that have nothing to do with it. The HEC, like Purif is another example yep. and some other areas. So can comfortably handle 10. Yeah. Okay. You had about, you had about 10 or so. Uh, I think, I think Hubbard said it was supposed to be, I, I think maxed out. It was like what, 20 or something. Yeah, probably. And that's something if like you that. have auditors who know what they're doing. Uh, if you have shaky auditors who aren't well-trained. Yeah. It takes more what of your well -trained time. Anyway, you have to but... correct them all the time. Right. Yeah. So there's a, so there's a little process here that goes on, or there's a little cycle that goes on, right? If you kind of get the picture of this organizationally, you have training, which trains the auditors, you have processing, which the auditors are now processing pre-clears, and the case supervisors overseeing all of this. And if the guy is screwing up and he's a bad product from his training, he gets sent back to training uh, to, to get fixed, you know? But but they don't send it back to training straight away. They'll do this cramming thing for a while first. But if that's not fixing the guy, back to the training area he goes. And that's yes, kind of... back to the course room. Yeah. Yeah. And that's kind of how this goes, is this sort of cycle. And this is how auditing is delivered in Scientology. Um, boy, lots of minutia now that I'd like to talk about, though, because um, you don't just get charged, for example. I'll just throw a little zinger out here for you guys. You don't just get charged for the actual time you're in session. You Correct. also get charged when the auditor is spending time working on the write-ups and administration of your folder. Yes. And if you could explain what a folder error summary or FESing is. Okay, FESing is when you go back through all of the auditing sessions that the person has had uh, from the beginning and you're looking for errors that were made in previous auditing sessions and they get written down on a pink piece of paper. Um, all of them are noted down. They're noted down in date order. So um, you'll start with the purification rundown and look at every single step that he did every single uh, day in the sauna, all of his daily reports. And you, you just make notes of whatever wasn't done properly and you write those down. Um, you're rereading all of the paperwork in that person's file. And that gets billed at half, half, so um, one hour of FESing is billed a half an hour of paid time for that person. Right. right. And how often are folders being FESed? They're supposed to be kept current all the time. So uh, usually every week they, they get them up to date. Some of them, uh, some of them are very far behind and it takes, a, you know, it can take an entire intensive. It can take, you know, 25 hours of somebody sitting there going through all the files, especially when somebody's not supposedly not well or not doing well in their auditing, um, they'll, they'll dig in really deeply on that step, trying to find all the mistakes that anybody ever, ever did on that person to try to see what they can do to fix it. Right. So it's kind of a unique thing because you're going back in the counseling and you're looking for all the errors that have been committed. Would you say that in terms of looking for the errors that you're looking for auditor errors or case supervisor errors or errors that were 
that we're not we're not looking for errors that the preclear was committing. We're looking for errors that were committed on the auditor. Him. Is that right? Yes, yes. You're looking for uh, things that the auditor didn't do properly. Let's say, for example, um, you find an old session where the guy says, "Hey, I was upset because uh, you know I had a fight with my wife this morning," and then blah 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 blah, and they don't finish that to the floating needle. Uh, maybe they went off onto something else. They they ended up, uh, okay, well, they couldn't get it to a floating needle because he just kept crying and crying and crying, and no matter what the auditor did, he couldn't fix it. So then the auditor will pull out uh, something to try to correct the, the person, and he'll go through a whole list of things, and maybe he fixes the upset with the person. But you still, even if he's fixed the upset with his wife by asking him other questions, you still ask him this original, are you upset? And it didn't get a floating needle. So that means your FES, you're going to write down, we missed it, we didn't finish it. Because you finished it with something else, but you didn't finish your original thing over here. That's how picky it gets. That's how picky it gets. <laughs> exactly. And <laughs> and now, now get this, though, because here we're talking about errors that have been committed by the organization. In order to find them, you have to charge the pre-clears time. This guy is paying thousands of dollars for these intensives, not hundreds of dollars, thousands. And whole yes. intensives can be taken up finding these errors. And then they come to you as the case supervisor. You go through the FES and see all the errors. What do you then do with that? How do you direct the auditor on what to do? It can vary because um, if the person is in good shape, then you may let it go. Um, if the person uh, isn't moving well on the bridge and is upset and sad, you may make a whole a whole list of things to be done based on the fact that you know these these things weren't done uh, completed. So you'll have them complete everything that they noticed was incomplete, and that does come out of the person's intensives. Um, there's no free sessions. Exactly. That was where I was going to. There's no free auditing going on here. None of these repairs that are being done on you, and that's what they're called. They're called repairs yes. or, or review auditing, right? Like when you're repairing something that you screwed up on, the preclear is charged for the administrative time and for the auditing time it takes to fix those errors or mistakes that the auditor or the case supervisors were responsible for. So in yes. the end, the preclear pays for all of it. And Hubbard was yes. unapologetic about this. He said, anybody complains about it, you tell them, hey, at least we're helping you. I mean, it was he was mm -hmm. really callous about this. You know, there's no there's no appeal line on this. If you're a preclear in Scientology, you're not just paying to get up the bridge, you're also paying to repair the screw-ups that they made on you along the way. I don't know a single other psychotherapy that would that was that is so ballsy as to do that. Yeah. I I just think that's outrageous, you know. And here's how bad it can get. Now here's now to get this. We also have organizationally this this frantic hysteria every Thursday at two o'clock about the statistics, right? Yeah. So so did you ever observe the tech sec like that was, you know, or the director of processing 
come in talking about or you know in the HTC talking to the FESers and saying we need to complete some people's intensives to count the the money on that on our statistic mm -hmm. before Thursday at two o'clock doing this FESing procedure on any folders they can find that have money that they can charge for yes. it. Yes. Right? There's, we would there's get frantic desperate. last minute. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah, we were desperate. If someone's right? close. Yeah. Right. If there if there is, you know, if there's two hours of remaining auditing time on their on their intensive, on their current intensive, let's say, they've done 10 hours of auditing, they got two, two and a half left. Well, they're never going to see those two and a half hours because we're going to consume those two and a half hours with folder work with that may, or yes. may not need to be done yes. because I need the statistic. Yes. Um, and, you know, you'll have a, you know, you'll have the director of processing who's in charge of getting these preclears and auditors together in session calling, hey, preclear, come in. You still have these two more hours. And, you know, we want to finish it up before Thursday at two. And that person's like, sorry, I'm at work. All right, let's go send it for paperwork because we're getting those two hours whether he shows up or not. And then that person comes in and he's like, why am I starting a, another intensive? I still have two hours left. Oh, we had to we had to use it for your paperwork. And that, yes, that happens. That's right. And they never call it paperwork. We're calling it paperwork because that's what it is. But it's given yes. much more flowery language when you're talking to the preclears. It's, oh, we had to, we had to, you know, well, we're of course keeping up on all of your folder work and your FESing and, and your programming and making sure everything is current and, and perfect for you is more of right. how it's communicated to the preclears, you know? Yeah. And, and the preclear doesn't necessarily think about the fact that, hey, I'm in the middle of my grade one and we're doing fine. Why are you doing this folder work? In the first place, everything is going smoothly and I'm following the grade one checklist. So there isn't any actual reason to be doing anything but directly doing sessions on him. It's because he wasn't available when they wanted to count those hours that this, this becomes this frantic thing. That's right. And it's and it this is one of the ways that people get ripped off by Scientology. And it's it it's it's not that the people who are doing it are thinking to themselves, I'm gonna rip off this guy. <laughs> it's that they're desperate for statistics because they're gonna get in a whole lot of trouble if the stats down when it yes. should be up. And so the director of processing and tech sec will literally meet on Wednesday night or Thursday morning and say, who needs FESing? And they'll, they'll start they'll and have, they'll make a list, you know? Yes, and if you have auditors who are not, um, we call it out of the chair, which means they're not allowed to do sessions because um, the case supervisor has sent them for correction. So Wednesday night, you're out of the chair because you've been out of the chair the whole week and, you know, doing, you know, your corrections. You're staying up all night Wednesday night, and you're doing folder work so that we can count some hours. So exactly, um, get some production. You don't want to be caught. Butt. Yes, you don't want to be caught in correction the whole week being lazy because it's lazy. Oh yeah, they expect you to do your correction in two hours and be back auditing right. uh, preclears. And if you're not, they're going to find another way to make you productive. So 
And if you don't want to speed up, then uh, yeah, ethics to you. Exactly. So that's just one example of of some of the minutia that goes on in these HTCs and how Scientology public are are uh, dealt with and and ripped off. Um, okay. So now. I think, and I wanted to run this by you because I was thinking about this this uh, yesterday and this morning, and I was wondering why would Hubbard set up a system like this? You know, he all through the fifties and sixties, he had this system in place of auditors basically auditing whatever they wanted to on preclears according to Hubbard's basic guidelines and directions, and. It sort of stumbled along for 10, 12, 15 years and was moving along and, and Hubbard was making tons of money and, and all of this seemed to be going in a, in a generally good direction for Hubbard. So why the change? I thought about this and I thought, well, maybe one of the reasons might be because Hubbard had determined by the mid-60s, early to mid-60s, that he had found the ultimate and final route to clear. And he then started working on these OT levels. And before he went off and did that, I think he looked at the big picture and I think he said to himself, how am I going to keep control of these people for as long as I can and keep getting reimbursement money from them uh, for as long as I can? Well, if I, you know, and Scientology is all about control. So... If you put this rigid system in place, it's a one-size-fits-all system, and everybody is just trying to put on this assembly line, then you've got a bit of a cash cow that you've just created. It's not a matter of now of people coming in and getting one or two or five or ten random processes, feeling better for whatever reason, and then leaving and never coming back. Now you've got this whole system that you, once you start, you have to go through the process and go through this whole procedure. And it allows a much more predictable income line, auditing, you know, statistics, all that kind of stuff are, are easily satisfied with this whole system. Uh, but mostly it's about a continuing source, making preclears a continuing source of income for Scientology. And so this whole system was a pretty radical change for Scientology when it finally went into place in the mid-60s. But what do you think about what I just said? Because this is all just kind of conjecture on my part. Uh, I think I think there's some truth to it. Um, I think there's another angle to it, um, which is mm -hmm. that you can... When you have a case supervisor, you stamp someone as a case supervisor. That means that person has gone through a massive training lineup and been validated as able to deliver. You know, I had to be able to take care of any services that the org was able to deliver. So I had gotten trained. We don't need to get into how much training you have to do, but it's a lot. And you have to not only show that you can do a good job as an auditor, you have to show that you can direct the, the preclearers uh, on, on each of their steps and unbog them when they're, when they're bogged, how to unbog auditors. You have to show in internships that you can take care of everything to do with the auditors, the preclears, and getting people up that grade chart. So when you become a case supervisor, you have this stamp on you that's basically, okay, you're, you're the final say-so on everything to do with Hubbard Technology in this organization. You're it. You are, you are the last source and you're the ultimate responsibility. 
that's that's the uh, what gets laid on the case supervisor. So then what that does is now now that I'm the boss of all that or whoever the case supervisor is the boss of everything, you can have a massive amount of auditors that that case supervisor can corral. You can corral auditors and preclears. You don't need every single auditor to be fully highly trained, fully stamped and interned. You can have a newly trained person take another person in session as long as they're at the same level because that case supervisor is going to be your um, puppet master. If that makes any sense, it's, it, if we take it on another field, you have a professional who runs an office and he has all these assistants and he stands over the assistants and helps them when they're having trouble with something that's a bit above whatever training they've done. You get, you get more, um, you have a, a higher capacity for auditors and auditing and training. So when you have that case supervisor structure in place, you know, if you, if you don't have that case supervisor structure in place, let's say, for example, you have a brand new auditor come in and he gets, uh, he gets, he picks up a folder of somebody who's been going in session for 20 years. He has no idea, tries to do something with this person and it just goes all to hell because the case supervisor isn't there saying, Hey, wait a minute, this one's above your level. That case supervisor assigns them. This is your level. This is your level. This is your level. And then babysits everybody all the way up until they're out of the org. And, and there's not one step that that case supervisor doesn't know about. They know about everything that's going on in the organization. It's you know, not the administrative, but the technical. Interestingly, also, the case supervisor tends to be the person who really does know all the secrets of the organization because staff get audited, too. And yes. their their auditing has to go through the case supervisor just like public paying preclears do. The system's the same. The public are paying for it. The staff are not. And that's why the staff are always getting short shrift. But sometimes they get in session. And when they do, case supervisors have to oversee their auditing. So, so all the secrets they're divulging, they all go past the case supervisor. <laughs> yes. The case supervisor knows about everybody in the organization, uh, all the personal details of everybody. Yes. Yeah, because, that's quite something. Yeah. What would you, I, I wanted to ask about this because we, you stressed earlier how there isn't anybody who is a senior to the case supervisor in terms of giving directions on what should be done with a preclearance session. However, you do have an administrative senior who is going to see you and talk to you about your statistics, your production, whether you're producing enough, not what you're producing. They can't get into that, but they can get into, hey, man, you better have your stats up. Yes, what you need your numbers. Are, yeah, exactly, about the numbers, right? As a case supervisor, you know, auditors have statistics of well-done auditing hours. Every hour they audit, they get graded on this on it by the case supervisor. And if it's a well-done session, then they get to count that on their statistic. What are the statistics of case supervisors? Uh, two statistics that are basically the same. One is uh, just uh, completions. Anybody who completes any auditing step, uh, they get validated by the qualifications division. And then the grade chart completions. Those are the only two things. Um, the only one that the 
the tech sec would be coming in to ask about is people moving up the grade chart. They want people uh, moving on to their next step. Um, as far as um, the, the money side of it is concerned, they, they pay for their auditing by intensive. So even when the case supervisor has someone complete, say, for example, grade one, that person could still have more hours available and they'll start them on the next step. Um, and the auditor counts the number of hours that they're sitting in the chair doing sessions on the preclear. The, the case supervisor's job is getting the preclears through each step and getting it validated with qualifications and then moving on to their next step. So that's how they count their stats. All right. So you were not involved with numbers of hours delivered. You didn't particularly care about that so much as you did about people getting through things. Yes, were but you we ever... got our butts handed to us when when things were done too quickly. So you really had to watch it. Um, okay. Okay. You you have requirements like objectives. Objectives have to be a certain number of intensives. Um, grade the grades each level of the grade. You have to have a certain minimum number of hours. It doesn't matter if the person says that they've uh, finished that level. Um, you have to have enough hours put in on it for the processes to bite and then finish whatever biting and finishing means. But. Well, that was exactly, that's exactly the thing because uh, if we're going to get, if we're going to get into those kind of details, then we're going to be talking about processes. Biting means that they've had some kind of, I would say um, non ideal reaction in the person. I mean, the person had yes. like, he went unconscious or he's woozy or he's feeling weird or the process did something to him and made him feel strange. And then through the course of the process, he then somehow comes out the other side, uh, you know, happier and, and uh, whatever. Yes. And it's, uh, not, that's called it's not acceptable. Biting. <laughs> yes. It's not acceptable if they are all the way through the entire grade. La la la. It's great. Uh-uh. <laughs> Like something's wrong. Exactly. <laughs> you can't it's go through the whole thing like, Wee! no, you got to right. you got to crash. You got to attack your auditor. You've got to show emotion somewhere in there uh, for the for the case supervisor to say, hey, this process is biting. We're going to keep going. Yeah. Exactly. There has to be some kind of change happening. Yes. Uh, in the process, right? That's what that was pretty much the requirement Hubbard demanded of his auditing procedures is that they produce change in the preclear. And if nothing's happening, then you're doing something wrong. Uh, so you want this stuff to happen, all this weird shit that goes on in auditing sessions, that's desired. That's not a feature. That's not a bug. It's a feature as far as the yes. auditors are concerned. Putting you in a hypnotic yes. trance, having you go unconscious, having you fall asleep, having all these things happen are good as far as they're concerned. Yes, it's, the way out is the way through. And yes, and you cannot leave, you cannot end a session like that. The person has to go into that state and then come back out of it. You know, that was something I noticed. I, I did do some brief therapy at one point and, you know, it was odd to me to find out that it was okay to feel sad at the end of a therapy session. You're like, oh. <laughs> and I thought, you know, I have to be happy or we're not going to ever be out of this therapy session. I got to be like, yay, I feel better. Or I'm not going to ever get it. No, it's like when you're done, you're done. And, and in, and in a Scientology session, if, if you've started something, you have to finish it. I don't care if you're trying to catch an airplane. I don't care if your, your daughter's in a coma in the hospital, 
None of that matters. If we've started something in a session, it has to be completed in the same session. So yeah, you want to turn it on and then you want to fix it before you'll end that session. And, and that's where you get into people uh, a lot of times where they're like, I got to go. I mean, I need to leave. And they're trying to leave the room and you will not let them leave the room until you finish. That auditor is required to finish whatever they started in that session or they're going to get their butts handed to them by the case supervisor. So exactly. And, and could, can you think of a better recipe to, to get somebody's head in a place where they feel like now they have to demonstrate certain phenomena or act a certain way, in other words, to the auditor in order to convince them to let them out of the room? Right. And, you know, the preclearers get the hang of it. They know, they know at a certain point and then they fake, you know, do they fake it? I'll, I'll leave it at that. They do they? I mean, come on. I did. I mean, of course they fake it. You know, I mean, I've, I've talked to and, you know, there's the, 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 the point I want to make here is that the system itself almost demands that they fake it. Yes. You know? That's, that's actually the, the problematic point I'm bringing up here. It would actually be more honest if Scientology sessions did sometimes end with the guy sad or in the middle of something because he's just going to come back next time and finish it. You know what I mean? If that's the theory of what you're doing, but you can't right. leave, you know, and so no. you're stuck there. And now you have this problem and you can't get out of it. I mean, the whole thing is just the most ridiculous bunch of nonsense in terms of therapy now we're talking about, you know, this, it's just crazy. Yeah. But let's get back to your stats for a second, because I want to ask you about a couple of things here. Did you ever, as a case supervisor, get pressured to complete a preclear on something that you thought maybe he wasn't? And it's okay either way. I don't, I'm not, I, this isn't a value question. I'm just wondering if that ever happened in all the years you were doing it. I mean, the only other person who cares about that statistic, it's not, um, it's not a gross divisional statistic, which is yep. um, which is a, a main stat of your division, which um, which you know that gets sent up to the executives, and and it it would reflect on how your org is doing, if your org is doing good or not. The the statistic of the case supervisor is not a reflection of how the org is doing. So I didn't get that kind of pressure down on me. It was a personal pressure of you know, having my stats up and, and, and being able to take a day off, which you never get anyway, or, <laughs> or right. being down set and, and, you know, having to, you know, stay extra every night because you're a horrible person. Cause you didn't get as many completions. It, yeah. The only person that would pressure that is the senior case supervisor would try because it's her, it's her statistic as well. In my origin, it was a her, but, um, it's also her statistic. It's just between the two of us, but there wasn't anything, anyone outside of us that pressures CSs for our right. statistics. Okay. Yeah, it was pretty rare. I, the whole time I was over the administration of technical areas, which was many, many years, case supervisors were, I don't want to say they were left alone because there, nobody in Scientology is left alone, but I would say that they were pressured less than many other staff members. Auditors have unbelievable pressure on them to produce 
hours of auditing because well done auditing hours is one of the major statistics of the organization. Same with yeah. value of services delivered. That's a money statistic. It, it reflects the value of services completed. So an intensive, let's say an intensive costs $4,000. The guy pays for it. Well, that's gross income. He, the, mon, the, the organization has now received money. That person now goes over to division four, goes in session, for 12 and a half hours. And when he finishes that intensive of 12 and a half hours of auditing, the technical division counts $4,000 on the value of services delivered because they delivered $4,000 worth of stuff. And that is a major divisional statistic for division four is the value of what they are delivering. So lower income services don't have as much value as higher income services like auditing yeah. intensive. That's why the main thrust of attention in Scientology organizations is on the HGC and is on auditing because it costs more. So the, right. the statistics reflect that and the emphasis is put on the higher income services and delivering those as the priority. Yeah. How did you interact with the income division with division two, the registration guys, when it came to dealing with selling auditing and re-signing people for auditing? Um, the, the registrars are not allowed to come to visit the case supervisor. Um, the case supervisor has their own office that nobody else goes into except folder pages. Um, the first step is if somebody goes down there, they're trying to get them signed up for more auditing. And if the person can't or won't do it, don't, they don't have the money. They're not working it out. They're not figuring it out. They're just saying no. That, that file comes to me and I have to figure out why that person is saying no. And it's going to be something in their auditing sessions that has made them upset or sad. And I got to find out what it is and fix it on that person. In that rare, in that rare instance, it could be done as an interview with the director of processing, and sometimes it'll be done as a session. This is a discretion of the case supervisor, uh, and, and those can sometimes be done as free sessions if they think that it's going to turn into buying a lot of auditing. So that'll happen, or um, the, the, the registrars never really uh, bothered me, but the income of the org is a super high stress. It's the highest stress division, I think, in the entire organization. Um, so your, your commanding officer, uh, I couldn't tell him, no, he would come and, and talk to me to try to figure out, um, they'll, they'll bring me a folder and say, I need you to give me an estimate. What is it going to cost? How many intensives does this person need to get to clear? And I'm going to write it all out. And that's something that they'll show to the, to the pre-clear and say, the case supervisor has just written this very special note for you. And it's yeah, exactly what you right. need to do to make it to clear. The, the, if the case supervisor has written something to the pre-clear, it is, it is a big deal. It's, it's, it's like, oh, my goodness, the case supervisor is trying to tell me something. I've got to listen. I, it makes me sound obnoxious to talk like that. Is that just the way that Hubbard made uh, case supervisors? They're, they're like they're, they're to be listened to. So that's right. Yes. So the, the, the case supervisor will write this estimate up for the person and say, this is what you need. And they can write little notes on there saying, you know, 
you know, uh, you have some case issues that we need to fix. You need some repairs. And sometimes that will be like, wow, I thought I needed some repairs. I wasn't ready to go back on that other action they were trying to put me on. Let's buy those repair sessions. Okay. And stick on the rest of it. And that's, they, they, they somehow find something that indicates to the person and get them to buy that the rest of the auditing. And uh, yeah, that's how that works with the registrars. Okay, good. Now let's add the last, the final element here, which is the director of processing. You have this whole little line, excuse me, that goes on here. You have the registrars who are trying to sell the guy auditing. You have the case supervisor who writes out this little estimate for the person and says, you know, here's how many hours you're going to need. And, and yeah, you, you need some repair. You need this. You need that. The director of processing can act as a middleman in this operation. Yes. The case supervisor isn't coming out personally and meeting with the preclear. The no case one ever. Yes. Right. Always in an ivory tower. Uh, if you pass him in the hallway, of course, you'll be friendly, but you're not going to sit there as a case supervisor and engage in long, drawn-out conversations with preclears. You're supposed to Correct. not even be them. So, uh, and the reason for that, by the way, and you correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe the reason for that is because seeing the preclear and interacting with the preclear might bias your judgments as a case supervisor. Is that the reasoning on that? Yes, you have to, it's, it's to maintain neutrality on, on the directness of the bulletins and the application of the bulletins to that person. There are no different cases. So um, everybody's the same. Everybody fits somewhere in Hubbard's bulletins. And I can't allow uh, someone talking to me or me seeing them to affect that. There is one situation where the case supervisor does see the preclear, and that is um, if, if, if there's a bog in the session and the auditor and the preclear are being watched by the case supervisor on camera. Um, the case supervisor has a television in their office and they can turn on and watch any sessions and listen to them while they're going on. Um, that setup is in all orgs. So in that, the, the case supervisor will watch that. The purpose of that is to see that the auditor is doing the processes correctly. It's not specifically to listen to what the preclear is saying, although some listen to the preclear, but um, it's mainly to watch what the auditor is doing and make sure he's doing them properly. Yeah, exactly. So, so let's just finish this thing up with the DFP then. So the director of processing acts as a middleman and the DFP can be ruthless with the preclear. In fact, according to yes. Hubbard's directions, he's supposed to be. The DFP yes. is not the preclear's auditor. There's this golden he's rule. He's not his friend either. He's not his exactly. friend either. <laughs> That's right. There's... <laughs> There's supposed to be this golden rule in Scientology auditing that an auditor never evaluates for a preclear or tells him what to think about his case. The director um, processing can do it. Yeah, exactly. The very existence of an e-meter, by the way, violates that rule, but that's for another time. On this evaluation thing, the DFP can evaluate all for the preclear and does. So the, the DFP will take the CS's estimate and the information from the registrar about, you know, how they're trying to sell this guy auditing. And he'll take the preclear into a room and he'll sit down and he'll say, well, you know, we have this estimate from the CS and it says this and this and this. And also you took an OCA test for us just yesterday. And here are the results of that test compared to the results of the test you took 
four weeks ago or three weeks ago and see how it's changed. You're a mess. You need more auditing now. Look at this. And the guy will go, oh, my God. And so between the estimate from the CS written out on a piece of paper and the tests and the director of processing telling the guy, you're going to fall apart if you don't get some more auditing right now. All of this builds in the preclear's head as pressure as to why he needs to buy more auditing now, not next week or three weeks from now or after he comes back from vacation, but now. And this is the machinery that's in place within the organization to make that happen. So the case supervisor is part of that machinery. So I wanted to talk about that. Did you ever see anybody else besides case supervisors using the look-in system? Uh, cramming officers, qual sex. Um, let me see. Other CSs, RTC. I mean, they're all tech trained people that I know of that I that I can mm -hmm. recall. And the commanding so officer sometimes you come never, in. You never saw Regis or other executives go in and check out what was going on with preclears and sessions? I would kick a Reg out of my office. They can't come in my office. <laughs> I don't know. You know, it, it could happen. I could see that happening. Uh um Regis have been known to look in PC folders, which they're not supposed to, trying to see, you know, they're trying to skip that director of processing line. They're trying to be the case supervisor and tell this person what they need. Um, and, you know, they're like, oh, I got to get this money by two o'clock or I'm dead, you know. And um, the Regis are the, the top of the list in anxiety disorder Anywhere in, in the Sea Org, I think, especially on Thursdays, they're like, whatever I have to do to make this go right, I'm going to do. So um, as far as looking in on sessions, I mean, I don't know if any registrars have done that. I, I can't say that it hasn't happened. I don't remember it ever happening. But yeah, I was just wondering what you had seen with your with your own two eyes. I have seen that. Um, I've also done it myself. When I was a senior, senior, you know, mucky muck over all the tech areas, um, I had a, I had I had tech training. I mean, I knew what I knew my way around auditing and sessions and stuff. But that wasn't why I was looking in on the sessions. I was yeah. I was going to ask you curious. why you were watching. Why were you watching the Just sessions? Just pure idle curiosity because I had the power to do it, and I'm not the wow. only one who did that. And I will absolutely say without, you know, any question at all that that happens all the time in HDCs. Um, just pure idle curiosity or like you mentioned, the regs are desperate to, to get information about this person uh, or, you know, whatever. I, I've seen that happen. Uh, actually, I've seen that happen many times. Because at ASHO, you worked at CC mostly, but over at ASHO, the look-in system was in the hallway. It wasn't in the case supervisor. I office. was in ASHO the last year I was in the CEOR. That was my last post was at ASHO. Um, right. And in was, 2004. Did, was, was the system still in the hallway when you were there or was it moved into the case supervisor office? Because I remember it in the hallway. Outside uh, the CS office. 2004, it was inside the CS office. There was one TV that I remember. Are you talking about the hallway okay. of the, the back area in the HGC? Yeah. It was... 
I mean, you're not talking about like an Asho hallway where people are walking to court. No, 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 not the public hallway. Okay. I, I, okay. I didn't say this. I should say this. HGCs are locked, secured spaces. Only certain people have access to an HGC. So I, yeah, I don't want to paint with too broad a brush here. It's not like people can just walk in and turn on a TV and start watching sessions. Somebody's going to say something, but if you have the authority or, you know, rank or, need to do that and nobody's busting you for it people walk into yeah. hdc regs and they do that and they get away with it you know i saw yeah. it happen many times and i did it myself that's how i know that that is true uh i wasn't at flag i didn't observe how things go there i'm talking about los angeles that's where i observed all of this stuff happen um okay so any other functions or duties or anything of the CS that you think we might want to cover here? Uh, I mean, the CS is ultimately responsible for all auditor training. So they end up in the course rooms very often watching um, people getting through their training, learning how to use the e-meter, practicing their training routines. Uh, the case supervisor can flunk someone and send them back uh, onto um, something earlier and say, you know, nobody can tell them anything. They, they, the case supervisor can go in there and just change whatever anybody's training on, or they can pass someone on something even if someone else is saying it's not a pass. It doesn't matter. if they, The case supervisor, his job is also moving those people through their training so that they can put, so the case supervisor can put them in session with these pre-clears that are waiting. So um, all of the auditor training uh, in the, in the, um, the in-techness of the academy is the, is the responsibility of the case supervisor. The case supervisor is also responsible for getting people through their internships. Um, when they finish their training, like up to class four auditor, they go to what's called an internship, which is in the qualifications division. And there is where they learn to master the, the skills up to class four. And the case supervisor is responsible for getting them through all the steps of the internship and completing it. So that is that exactly. is another duty of the case supervisor. I'm sure there's more exactly. now. I'll remember them later. But <laughs> no, no, the training element was good. That was I'd, I'd forgotten about that, and I wanted to bring that up. So it was good. Um, you might notice, by the way, through the language that Sunny's been using, that within the world of Scientology, this is all considered extremely standardized, technical, precise methodology and, important. <laughs> and very important in fact the most important yeah. thing in the world is this is this activity um it uses this language for a reason <laughs> but i want to point i just want to throw out there for anybody if this is one of the first podcasts or videos of mine you've ever listened to or watched or anything it doesn't deserve this level of language specificity. It's it's really not that precise a science that what goes on in auditing. In fact, if you've been listening carefully and sort of reading between the lines, you see that there's a lot of goofiness that goes on here and a lot of nonsense. Um, but Scientologists really do convince themselves that this is a, a high performance, you know, highly technical, precise activity that they're engaged in. Uh, and they sort of 
weed out of their head any of the conflicting pieces of information and contradictions that are rife throughout this, this, these procedures. So I just wanted to comment on that. Did you have anything you wanted to comment on about that? I think, I think you've covered it. I think you've covered it quite well. Awesome. Well, Sunny, I want to wrap up now. So I want to thank you very much for your information and your time. It was invaluable. I, I know a lot, but you lived this. And that really does make a big difference in describing and talking about this stuff. So thank you. Sure, sure thing. Absolutely. Okay. Uh, folks, any questions, comments, feedback of any kind, good, bad, or sideways, go ahead and leave it in the comment section here on YouTube, and we will take a look at it. And if you have more questions about anything that we've talked about, please leave it in the comments, because um, this is far from the definitive be-all, end-all podcast on Scientology auditing and CSing. There's lots more that we could talk about with this. And I'm curious what, uh, what areas you guys might be interested in hearing about uh, on all of this so thanks for coming around and listening again sunny thank you very much sure thing all right guys see you next week bye bye